And we want to welcome you all to the series we're beginning today. You see the title on the screen, From Self-Help to God's Help. And we have a handout that we'll be using as we go through. So James and Jean and Ken, they have some. They've been passing them out, but if you don't have one, they'll get one to you. And we'll get into that and introduce our series in just a, just a moment. Just want to make you aware of some things that are coming up. This evening, for those of you that are registered for a community group, that is the home groups that meet on Sunday nights, we have our next six-week block starting tonight. And if you haven't done that, if you've never registered for that, you'd like to, then give your name at the Information Center, and then we'll contact you about the next block when we start up again. But those of you that have registered should have received an email from your leader, uh, community group leader this week, about where you're meeting tonight. So we look forward to six weeks of community groups coming up. And then on Wednesdays, every Wednesday, we have our midweek program, and that has ministries for everybody in all ages. So we have nursery and toddler, we have a children's program, age-graded, and then we have three adult classes that we're doing on Wednesday evenings. There's a men's class called Men's Fraternity. There's a survey of the book of Philippians. Dr. William Combs from Detroit Baptist Seminary is teaching that. And then I'm leading a class called How to Get the Most Out of Your Bible. It's a survey of the Bible. And then the next part will be how to interpret the Bible. And then the third part, how to apply the Bible. So if you are interested in any of that, uh, we're only a few weeks into it. So this will be a good time for you to jump in. 7 o'clock each Wednesday here. This coming Saturday is our annual Hayride Family Fun Day. And we're doing that at Farmer Charlie's. That is right off 75, about 10 minutes south of us uh, here. Uh, And that's the first time we've gone to Farmer Charlie's, and they have more stuff to do than the other places that we've gone in the past. But it uh, also means that we don't have a centralized get-together-for-a-meal kind of thing. Uh, We're going to meet at uh, 4.30, and then if you bring kids, there's all kinds of stuff for them to do, and they can do as much of the stuff to do as you want to hang around for. Uh, You buy a wristband, and it's a one price, and then you go through all the stuff, okay? So that's the way we're going to try it uh, this year. We'll see how it works. It should be a good time. I've been down there visiting it a, a couple of times to make arrangements. So you need to get, though, your wristband, and you have to do that today before you leave. So you get that at the Resource Center, and that is right across the hallway out that door, and do that before you go because it's this Saturday at 4.30 at uh, Farmer Charlie's. All right, this series is From Self-Help to, to God's Help. And why are we interested in doing a a class like this for nine weeks, as you will see? Well, it's because God is in the change business. And we forget that. And part of the reason we forget it is because, unfortunately, we see so little change take place. We see too little change take place in our own lives. We see too little change take place in the lives of others. And so as a result, most of us are, frankly, stagnant. Most people in their Christian lives are stagnant. They may have made a profession of faith 20 years ago, but they have one year of growth that they've been living on for 20 years. And God God expects and desires for us to grow from month to month and year to year. Now, God's in the change business. How do we know this? Well, God, first of all, uh, is the one who initiates and has made provision for the radical change and the foundation for change in our lives. That is, conversion from sinner to saint. 
that when we come to God through Jesus and the provision that he has made by his life and death on the cross, there is a conversion. We call that point of coming to the cross and understanding and embracing the person and work of Christ. We call that conversion. There's a reason for that. Because it's supposed to convert us now. It's supposed to move us in a different direction. And from that point on, there should be regular change. So God is clearly in the change business because he has made the provision in the person and work of Jesus for that change in his perfect life, his death on the cross. And we come to him, we rightly call that converting them. And I say from sinner to saint. You know, we think of saint and we think of someone perfect or someone you know, who's... who's, who's uh, statue, you know, is in a hall of fame somewhere, someone who's gone through a, a canonization process, you know, had had two verified miracles and all of that stuff. But the Bible just uses saint uh, as someone who is set apart. And everyone who's come to Jesus is set apart from, every, from those who have not. And that's always a minority of people in God's world. But so it is someone who is set apart, set apart from the world and unto God. And the church is comprised of them, saints, people who are set apart. And the church itself, the very word church means people who are called out, called out of the world and to God. So when we say from sinner to saint, we of course don't mean a total change, but we do mean the beginning of the process of change. And then the Bible speaks regularly of this process of change. We call it sanctification. The process of a saint becoming more like Jesus. So God is in the change business, in conversion from sinner to saint at the point that we, we come to Jesus, but then he's also in the process of change in, in restoring his likeness, his image in us, changing us from the image of Adam to the image of Jesus, the last Adam. God made us in his image. God made us to reflect his character back to him. But because of sin, the mirrors that were designed to reflect him back to him are now broken and in need of repair. But that repair process is a regular repair and restoration process that God's engaged in. And so we are destined, says Romans 8.29, to be conformed to the image of his dear son, that is Jesus if we've come to Christ. So, why do we care about a class like From Self-Help to God's Help? That's about getting help with the stuff with which we struggle. Because God cares about that. And we need to also, and I'm simply saying to you that one of the reasons that we don't care enough about it is because we don't see enough of it. We simply fall into a lull because we don't see change in our own lives and we don't see change in the lives of those around us. And we can never, we should never be satisfied with that. We should never be satisfied with the status quo in our walk with the Lord. And as a pastor, I can never be satisfied, not only for my own life, but then for the life of those in our, in our flock here. This is what the Lord has done for us. This is what the Lord is doing for us. And it's what he desires to see in us. So God is in the change business. That's why we do a nine-week series like this, okay? The other thing I want to say at the outset is, the good news is, this change is not tied to circumstances. The change that we're going to be talking about is a change in us, not 
necessarily a change in our situation. So to the extent that we engage in change at all or desire change at all, most of the time, for most of us, the change we want is a change of venue, a change of circumstances. It may mean a change of, a radical change like a change of spouse. (laughs) Because the problem is him. Or the problem is her. Or... If I don't get another job, I can't progress in this change project that that God is doing. So I need another job or I need another house. I need a change of circumstances. And very often those are circumstances we can't control. We can't change at our whim. Sometimes we are in those circumstances. They may not be favorable as we heard in the first hour. Sometimes they are difficult. Sometimes they are areas of suffering. But God's change project, hear this now, takes place in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. And you ought to see that as good news. Because the extent to which we even try to change most often is focused in the wrong area. And that is change of our external circumstances. What God is interested in is changing us in our circumstances, not simply escaping from our circumstances. That's the kind of change we're going to look at together. And in the notes that we gave you, you see the first page. If you'll take a look at the introduction, we all struggle with issues that we would like to change. And so things like, maybe I'm a chronic worrier, fears, anxiety, hard-to-break habits, they plague all of us. Sometimes for years we read books, try programs, They promise steps and keys to change, but despite our efforts, things remain the same. And and that's absolutely true. You've got people who have made careers, lots of money, sold lots of books and workbooks about the six essential changes, steps to whatever it is. And we've all bought them, and we've all tried them, and they don't end up with lasting change. Hear this. Be warned, dear friend. If somebody promises you a formula for change, back away. Look at the the next paragraph, in fact. God knows our struggles better than any self-help guru because he made us and he cares for us. He's given us instructions regarding our problems and their solution. In this class, we'll look at what God says about our struggles and, and see this discover that his solution is lasting because the answer is not a program, but rather ultimately a person. Now, we want to see how that person invades our lives. We want to see how Scripture identifies the problems and struggles that we have and how they manifest themselves and how that can and and needs to be reversed. But it is all centered on the person of Jesus, as we will see. So in our course overview, these are the things that we're going to see. Today, the big picture, God in the real world, you in the real world, what is it that entangles you? Why do you get entangled? Our new identity and the new potential we have. The cross and how it applies to daily living. What real heart change looks like and the fruit that comes from it. Now, I have to identify at the bottom of that page this book, How People Change, by Tim Lane and and Paul Tripp. And they actually have a workbook that I was ordering for you all to have. You would have had to pay what we paid for it, but nonetheless. They have a workbook. It's a published workbook. Why don't you have the public, published workbook? You just got the, the junk I gave you. Because, you know, and I, did, I contacted them several weeks ago 
to order these, and the publisher didn't have any. They're publishing more, and they wouldn't have them in time for my series that I said is starting on October 13th and has already been advertised, and we are starting on October 13th. So you've got my junk rather than their workbook, but here's the good news. My junk is free, okay, and there's, and there's cost you. So if you look at the first lesson on the next page, then each of these nine lessons is simply going to have some passages that we're going to explore, but also on the left side, we've put this chart, and you will see this chart uh, throughout our time together. And we're going to fill some of that uh, in today, and we're going to uh, refer to it every week when we get when we get together. So today's lesson is the big picture. Now, why is the big picture necessary for us? It's necessary because of what I said to the men uh, a couple of weekends ago at our men's retreat. And that is that we all tend to live our lives in compartments. If you think about it, most of us live in compartments. We've got our social compartment. We've got our finance compartment. We've got our education compartment, our work compartment the leisure compartment, my health compartment, you know, my home compartment. You can just go on and on and make these, right? And then there's my church spiritual life compartment. And notice, living life like that means that my spiritual life is one compartment among many. And the question that most of us need to ask and answer is, what ties all the compartments together? What is it that is the overarching purpose and objective for all of these various roles that God has called me to play and invades each of these boxes, these compartments that comprise my life. So we need to see the big picture because without it, we tend to live our lives in compartments and see them not affecting one another and not ruled by an overarching principle, purpose, objective. And God gives us the big picture in, in Scripture. So top of that page, the big picture, life in a fallen world. And the big question is, how does the big picture help you to understand and to respond to the grace of God as He works through the details of your life? And that's what we want to look at together. So let me ask it this way. Have you ever felt lost in the middle of your own world? You know a lot about yourself. You know a lot about God. You know a lot about other people but you're not sure how it all fits together in the big picture. You don't know why your marriage is struggling or why you battle with depression. For the life of you, you can't understand why your teenage son has become so adversarial towards you. And it's experiences like this, things like this, that we want to, to see in this course together. So think of it this way. If you were lost in the middle of a city, you know, what would you need most? And your first answer is going to be what my first answer would be. You know, I need directions. And that's as good as far as it goes. Uh, if I'm only going to be in that city one time, and I'm only going to go to one place, then getting directions to that one place will be fine. But if I'm going to be, if, I'm, if I live in that big city and I'm lost, <laughs> or if I'm going to be back at that big city frequently, then getting directions to that one place is going to, only going to help me that one time, right? So what I really need more than just detailed directions to a specific location, is kind of a helicopter overview. 
of the city so that I know how it fits together and so that I can identify the places I am and how to get from, from here to there. And that is what God tries to, attempts to give us in the Bible and does give us in the Bible, a helicopter overview of our lives. And when you read your Bible, you say, you know, I've read through it. And if you haven't, I encourage you to do so. But it doesn't always seem like it's giving you that helicopter overview, does it? It might seem like it's a haphazard collection of stories and poems and commands. But when you carefully see the Bible and its elements, it provides an overall picture of life. Hear this, as God sees it and change as God does it. Life as God sees it and change as God does it. And only when you have that overall sense of what God's doing can you make sense of the details of your own life. Now what we want to do in this lesson is with that chart that, that you have on the left is we want to see these four major elements that the Bible presents over and, and over again. You see those elements listed there in capital letters, heat up at the top? And then in the middle on the right, thorns. And then bottom, middle, cross. And then middle, left, fruit. And over and over again, the Bible presents those four elements to us as life as God sees it and change as God does it. And you don't see that in one passage. You see that in a a number of passages. But you see these same four elements over and, and over again. And here's the the great thing. With this big picture model that God gives us that has these four elements in it throughout Scripture, it's the model of every believer's life. And God, when you came to Christ, has already made you a part of this story that God is fitting you into and in which these four elements show themselves over and, and over again. And so with those four elements at the, at the top, you've got, you've got heat. Let's see what these are. You might write at the top of that, above that sun, uh, you might write situation. Situation. Heat is the situation I'm in. And those of you that are taking our How to Get the Most Out of Your Bible class know that I make the claim that even though the Bible is a big book and therefore intimidating because of its size and its antiquity, its age, that you can take some of the intimidation out of the Bible if you recognize that it's really about a handful of things. It is about creation, it's about the fall, and it's about redemption. It's about those three things. If you really get those things down cold, you'll be in great shape as you read through your Bible. But then I even get it down to one sentence. The Bible's about this. Those of you that are in the class, people in situations before God. People in situations in the presence of God. That's, that's what the Bible's about. If you read through it, that's what you find over and over again. And I say to the class that two of those three elements, people, situations, and God, have not changed. God is the same. People are still just as dumb and sinful. And because those haven't changed, even though the Bible is old, what it teaches about God and about people still still applies. It's about people. It's about 
those people in the presence of God, but in various situations. And the different situations are unlimited in their variety. But two-thirds of your Bible is written in story form, narrative, so that you can find yourself in the stories that you find in the Bible. So it is about people, it's about situations, and those people in the presence of God as they interact in those situations, and that's what's meant by heat. Throughout the Bible, you're going to find people in situations and how they act and react in the heat of, of life. You and I are always reacting to things that are happening around us. Whether it's the scorching heat of difficulty, the unexpected rain of blessing, we're always responding to whatever's coming down on us. And the Bible presents a shockingly realistic view of life like that. Shockingly realistic. It shows how people react, act and react in the heat of life. And as we look at these passages together, you're going to see yourself there and the kinds of typical reactions that, that we have as well. The Bible is absolutely, shockingly honest about life in a fallen world. So that's the first element of the big picture. It is the situation. Then the second element is in that chart on the right, in the middle, it's thorns. And the thorns are based upon how it is we react to what's going on. We're never, friends, really passive. We're always acting and reacting and responding to the situation. So maybe it's a tough boss. Maybe it's my crazy extended family. Maybe it's a rebellious child, a chronic illness that I have. It's a new career opportunity. It can be any number of situations, the heat of life. Whatever it is, the Bible helps us see how to react to the heat. And our hearts are always interacting with what's going on in these situations. And it, in turn, affects our outward behavior. And so this reminds us that sinners, now hear this, tend to respond to the fallen world sinfully, and each of those sinful reactions to what's going on in my life has consequences to it. So take a look at the chart again. And I know you're flipping back and forth. Okay, it's just my cheap thing, all right? You get what you pay for, okay? But, but take a look at the chart again. On the right, you've got thorns. And these, these thorns are my sinful reactions to the heat, the situations that are going on in my life. And those have consequences. So you see at the top of that cactus <laughs> with the thorns, you see consequences. And if you want to write next to that consequences arrow, the word reap, R-E-A-P, reap. You see, because I'm in the heat, I'm in the situation, whatever it is, and I'm acting and I'm reacting to that all the time. We're never really passive. And how I react to that, which tends to be sinfully, because even after coming to Christ, I'm still battling with sin. So that being the case, I tend to reap bad fruit. And so to the left of that cactus, you've got some blank lines there. You could write bad fruit, okay? 
which is the thorns. But notice now, and this is, this is important, where the bad fruit comes from. At the bottom of the trunk of that cactus, you see the heart with a negative. The root of those sinful reactions is the heart. And the heart that I bring to the heat of the situation. So this should begin to disabuse us of the notion that if I can simply change the situation, then things will have really changed. Right? Because, some of you have heard me say this before, a change of address does not give you a change of heart. So you can change the job, you can change the spouse, you can change the house, you can change all kinds of things. But the root of this thing is the sinful heart. And then the heart interacting with the situation gives rise to the consequences that we reap. Well, if we're left there, we're in big trouble. But God's in the change business. And God does not leave us where we are. God did not call us out of the world to simply bide our time until we go to heaven. But rather, He's engaged in that change project progressively day by day, year by year. And that is done through daily interaction with the cross. And that's why this now goes bottom left, you see in the chart, to the cross. And the cross tells us like nothing else can, who God is and what He says and does in Christ. The, Bible, the God of the Bible presents Himself as an ever-present help in time of trouble. And the ultimate example of that is Jesus Himself. He came to a fallen world to live and to die and to rise again, and He gave us everything we need to respond in a godly way to what we face every day. Now, before we get going, just do you believe that? Jesus gives us what we need to respond in a godly way to the heat we face, the stuff we face every day. The Bible says he most definitely does that. And so the promise of the cross is not just renewed strength or even enhanced wisdom. It's a new heart that begins to evidence new strength and wisdom as we face the heat, the trials, the difficulties, and even the blessings of everyday life. And so because of the cross, the whole reason for the cross is that each of us is in this process of being remade to reflect the character of Jesus himself. His patience, love, his mercy, his courage, his boldness, his justice, his grace, all of that to be expressed in the situations that God brings and allows in, in our lives. And that's all centered in the bottom of that chart, the cross. So you could write in the blanks at the very bottom there, if you're awake and you still want to, redemption. This is God redeeming, making right what has gone wrong. But then you have not the fruit of thorns, but thankfully, because of the work of the cross and the Spirit, God's Spirit, that is given to those who come to God through the cross of Jesus, we get this new heart, which means now to the left, you see in the chart, you've got a heart with a positive root. So you've got a new heart, a changed heart. 
And it brings forth, therefore, a different kind of fruit. And just like you wrote bad fruit next to the cactus, you got good fruit now next to the tree. And you continue to reap the consequences of that as well. In both cases, you reap. But in one, you reap a harvest of righteousness. In the other, you reap the whirlwind of difficulty over and over again. That is life as God sees it. And that's change as God does it. Now, if you'll take a look at your notes, uh, the right page, lesson one, we have got a key passage from which, one of the many passages in the Bible, in which you see those four elements. Jeremiah chapter 17. And you see it there on the lesson one page, the big picture. Key scripture passages, the very first one is Jeremiah 17. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when He comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Let me just stop there. Wow, what a beautiful thing, huh? But verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. You guys see you've got all the elements there? You got the heat of life. You got the situation. You got the way that you, we respond to the heat of life and, and the situation. And you've got a contrast in this passage about two ways to, to do that. Cursed is the one who trusts in man and whose heart turns away from the Lord. And the result of his heart turning away from the Lord, that bad root, is this bad fruit. He's going to be like a bush in the wastelands. And he'll not reap good things out of that. He'll dwell in the parched places of the desert and the salt land. So that's one. But in contrast, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. This tree is one that is solid, has solid roots. And the consequence of that is that he does not fear, whatever the situation. And he, has, he bears good fruit in whatever is going on because the heart is bearing the good root of the heart is bearing good fruit in, in the life. I just want you to think about that as it applies to yourself. Think about your own life. Is that what you see in your own life regularly? I don't know everybody here. I certainly don't know everybody's circumstances. But I said at the beginning, most of us just become satisfied with where we are. We don't see change regularly taking place. So if that's true, if my observations are accurate over 30 years of ministry, then uh, there are a lot of us here who need to understand that, that what's really needed is a change of heart. And the change of heart 
that Jesus wants to provide for us. Now, we've provided another passage for you there just to make clear that this is indeed the big picture as the Bible presents it. You not only see it in Jeremiah 17, which has all of those elements of the heat and the thorns and the, the work of God on the heart, the cross, and then the, the good fruit that comes out of that. You not only have those four elements there, you've got them here as well, 1 Corinthians 10. I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes, and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Wow. The elements are there as well. Because here in the New Testament, we're being reminded of what these people in situations in the presence of God experienced in the Old Testament. And what you read there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is from Numbers chapters 11 through 14. Numbers 11 through 14. And all of the stuff that's being described there about what they ate and what they drank and how they grumbled, that's all found in Numbers 11 through 14. So as I'm going through this, I read Numbers 11 through 14. And I'm going, you know, I, I can see that. Um, here's Moses. Um, you know, I'm no Moses. But I can just tell you, if you try to lead four people in a particular direction, let alone two million, like Moses was doing as they came out of, of Egypt, Two million. How do we know two million? Numbers chapter 1 and verse 46. Numbers chapter 1 and verse 46 says 603,550 adult men left Egypt with Moses. Now, if those men had wives, as they undoubtedly did, and then they had some children, that's where the two million comes from. And Moses leads them for... 38 years in the wilderness because they refused to go into the promised land. You always remember this, right? And he comes to the end of his life and he writes Psalm 90. There are 150 psalms in the book by that name. One of them is written by Moses. Psalm 90. 
and it's Moses praying to God at the end of his life after he has led these people through this whole thing. And he, at the beginning of it, he talks about the Lord being from everlasting to everlasting. And he says, Lord, you send us back to dust. We are like waves that wash on the shore and then wash back is our time on earth. It's that fleeting. Therefore, verse 12, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And why does Moses write all this? Here's why. Because <laughs> the Bible says that all of those people, those adults, are going to die and not go into the promised land. Only two of them get to go into the promised land. Because they were the two that said, let's go at the beginning and take it and let's believe God. So all the 1.2 million adults are going to die. So you do the math on 1.2 million adults dying in a 38-year period. And it comes out to about three to four people dying every 15 minutes. On average. If they just died continuously. So Moses, by the time of his... They're, they're just burying people all over the place. Now, this is the situation that they have placed themselves in. This is the heat that they're in. But even before they disobeyed God and they were banished to the wilderness. Why? Why? Numbers chapter 11 and verse 34. You will wander one day, one year for every day that you refuse to go in and take the land that I gave you. And that's why it was a 40-year wandering. And so you're going to wander now for this, this 40 years. And, and as they do, right at the beginning, you know, they, they're chased by the, they're pinned up against the Red Sea. And do you remember the grumbling that happened? Let's get a new leader. Let's go back to Egypt. We don't like the stuff we're eating. God's given us the same tasteless stuff every day. So grumbling out in the wilderness. And, and, and this is what Paul's referring to now in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And in those people you see yourself and I see myself. And I see the heart that I bring to the situations that God allows to come into my life. And so in verses 11 through 14 of the passage that we reread, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul's using the real-life experience of Israel in this wilderness to help us and to help the Corinthians that he was writing to understand their own heat, their own situation. And the Bible presents these people in, the, in Scripture with all of their warts and all of their sin and all of their difficulties. And what was the situation? What was the heat? What was the pressure and the temptation and the challenges and the enticements? And I ask you the question, how does it compare to the kinds of things that you have in, in your own life? And then what's the result of it? That's the situation. That's the heat. But then there's the thorns. There's the bad fruit that comes out of it. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10, the passage that we have listed for you there, he details all the ungodly ways that Israel responded to the situation. Idolatry, pagan revelry, sexual immorality, testing the Lord, and grumbling. And then he mentions the, the consequences. And verses 6 and 7 focus on the heart out of which that behavior came. But then he also, in verses 1 through 4, points us to the cross. They all ate the same spiritual food, same spiritual drink, same spiritual rock, and that rock was Christ. 
The same Christ that's now with the Corinthians and with us was with Israel. And then you see the fruit as well. In verses 11 through 14, Paul invites them and us to embrace Christ. Verse 11, take a look at verse 11. These things happen to them as examples written down as warnings to us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. It's a reference to Jesus' first coming. And so they're supposed to see and we're supposed to see how privileged we are now to have life in full view of the coming of the anointed one, the Messiah, and we have full access to the blessings that are ours because of him. Then you look at verses 11 and 12. Paul speaks of the new heart that, that we're to have. If you think that you're standing, take heed lest you, so that you don't fall. That's the humility that comes out of a new heart that embraces Christ. And then verses 13 and 14, it results in new behavior. To stand up against temptation and to watch for the Lord until He comes. And so you see it in Jeremiah 17, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And let me give you one other passage. There are just oodles of these throughout Scripture where you see these four elements, situation, thorns, cross, good fruit. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 2 through 12. 2 Corinthians 1, 2 through 12. I have it listed for you. We just don't have it written out. And there you've got Paul in his heat, in his situation, in his own life. If you'll take a look at it, it'll be our final passage today. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And I just want you to see in this, again, the four elements of heat, thorns, cross, and fruit. 2 Corinthians 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed about the hardships. We, are under, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you in holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so not according to worldly wisdom but according to God's grace. Now do you guys see in that the situation? The heat? Paul is spreading the gospel. 
He's going on his missionary journeys, and he's found the kinds of circumstances and hardships that he discusses beginning in verse 8, under great pressure. But then he talks about what kind of fruit that's yielded because of what kind of heart he brought to the situation and what God then, as a result, has produced for him and not only for him, but then because of what's been produced for him, for them as well. Now, that's what we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks together how it is that the heart is the root that interacts with the heat, the situations we are in, gives rise to either thorns or good fruit that then reaps consequences in our lives, but not only in our lives, but has consequences for the lives of others as well, just as it did for Paul. If we can get that down, then, friends, we can go from self-help to God's help. We can make change that is not just six steps that doesn't last, but change that lasts for a lifetime and continues throughout our lifetime. I hope to see you then next week. Let's ask God to give us protection until next Lord's Day. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be reminded in your word of your change project, your restoration project for your people. Lord, you are the active God who is actively at work restoring your world to what it was originally designed to be. And you're restoring your people to what we were originally designed to be. And so, God, you're involved in the change business, moving us from being sinners to now set-apart saints. And in the ongoing sanctification process, moving us from the image of Adam to the image of the last Adam, the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word that gives us situations multiplied situations of how your people have interacted with you in the various circumstances and the heat of life. And you've offered all of this for our instruction so that we can see what is what we reap when we bring sinful hearts to the situation and thorns grow in the, in the, in the consequences of our reactions and actions. Help us to be people who see the beauty then of the cross and the change that the cross makes not once, but every day in our lives. And help us to repair to the Lord Jesus and his cross and be people who see it as central to being renewed day by day in our hearts so that the consequences overflow and reap in ways that are pleasing to you and reflect well on you. Lord, we ask you to go with us now this week as we seek to begin putting this into practice and looking at how our hearts interact with our situations. Bring us back safely next Lord's Day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.